0: So I'm all set, and uh, I don't know about, well, I know about saving, I remember a quote from Shakespeare about saving things in terms of saving education, and he said, uh, perhaps it needs a divine more than a physician, and so maybe that's apt for what the challenges California faces, some of which uh, you'll hear about today. <clears throat> so, as you see, my my title is uh, uh, that almost everything changes in the uh, Common Core will have a profound and deep and widespread effect, uh, certainly on California policy. This is going to be a discussion initially, and we can I'll leave plenty of time for questions, about state policy making. Uh, we can, I think, make state policy uh, for this uh, area of Common Core. It's cheap to make policy. Uh, implementing it in the classrooms through 300,000 teachers and so on, that's a whole different story. Uh, So my focus is on getting the policy right and uh, then we can talk some more about the implementation. Okay, so I will uh, give a very few brief comments about uh, Common Core just to make sure we're on the same page here. Uh, And my objective is not to explicate or uh, cheerlead for Common Core, but just say what it is and then move into what our state policy uh, implications are. So the history of the common core standards, it was created by two uh, non-governmental groups, the National Governors Association, uh, and uh, the Council of Chief State School Officers, which are the state superintendents of schools across the country. Uh, they took it upon themselves to do this uh, in roughly 205 to 209. Uh, I you know, have some credentials as an expert in politics of education and i've always preached that the states are so different uh... and they have really strong cultural and political cultural differences and it's very hard to get things to spread across the states and i was surprised at this uh... forty five states and the district of columbia adopted the common core curriculum i think that's a watershed thing for american federalism and education uh... and the only states out are texas which sort of wants to secede, uh, alaska Uh, Virginia, um, uh, and one of of the Dakotas, North Dakota, uh, is also out, and there's uh, one other somewhere. But anyway, most of the states are in it, Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about the standards. Uh, To really give it uh, some power, uh, the Obama administration funded two state assessment development consortium and gave them a total of $350 million to, uh, to develop assessments. I mean, that's a ton of money, Uh, and that would be aligned uh, to the Common Core. Uh, There are two groups, one called Smarter Balanced, uh, which we're part of, and the other called PARC, which is an abbreviation, and uh, both of us have about half of the states that are in the Common Core. Uh, And so that has been going on, and so we have quite a bit of help. Once you get the 45 states in there and the consortium, you have for the first time a common market uh, for educational policy, educational materials, uh, educational frameworks, uh, and this is, I think, an important movement because we're going to be able to borrow from each other, and you'll see that in as I lay out the detailed plan we have. Uh, the political attacks on the Common Core, I believe, have been largely rebuffed. Uh, you never know what's going to happen when you really try and implement it. Uh, the American Institutes of Research published a paper, and some of you old-timers remember a system in California called the California Learning Asse- Assessment System, CLASS, which was uh, implemented and then politically defeated. And we didn't have much resistance either. I was around for that era in the beginning, and as soon as we began rolling it out, uh, all hell broke loose. So, it, you know, it, where the politics will go, Uh, Once it happens, I don't know, but for now, uh, important parts of the Republican Party have supported it. Uh, Jeb Bush has played, I think, a significant role uh, in the Common Core uh, in uh, rebutting attacks from the Republican Party. Um, And uh, 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 Romney's view is, is, at least in his campaign on Common Core, uh, is that he won't, tend to promote it probably as much as Obama, but he won't oppose it in some way or try and stop it if the states prefer to do it. Okay, the goals of the Common Core Standards were, uh, as you all know, fewer. Uh, the allegation has been around for years that the American mathematics curriculum, for example, was a mile wide and an inch deep. This was one of the major findings of the international studies like TIMS, uh that we were trying to do too much, doing it repetitively. Uh, and uh, we needed to make them fewer. Uh, higher uh, means we need to elevate our whole game, and I'll give some uh, examples of that. Um, uh, that, we, but I will mention in higher that this round, what was different from the last round of standards, which you know was a, uh, done in the 1990s and 2000, was these are more, much more explicitly linked to higher education and to international standards. Last time we did common, uh, we did standards, including the California standards, we largely deliberated without involvement of post-secondary education. Therefore, they didn't buy into our standards in K-12, they didn't buy into our assessments, they weren't well linked, uh, and this round of the Common Core is much uh, more uh, linked to post-secondary education, I'll come back to that as a major theme. So college readiness is very much a theme here. Uh, And looking at international standards and bringing those to uh, bear on our thinking is also a key element of this. This was international perspective is largely um, uh, absent in the first round. And deeper. So uh, deeper I'll illustrate in a minute, but the general view is that we need to uh, get much deeper in our learning and our understanding. So here's some a couple of things I took from some of Linda's slides. She has a long explication of uh, Common Core standards, and again, that's not my purpose, so I will go through these really quickly. Uh, reading increasingly complex texts co- closely, so that means all of our textbooks and materials are uh, questionable and will need to be revamped. Uh, communication, there's a lot about communication in students being speaking, writing, listening. Uh, arguing, contending, that kind of thing, using evidence, evidence, and interpreting with justification, and engaging in inquiry and research. You can see these are higher, these are deeper, uh, in that regard, and and uh, in, in in that in, in an important uh, area. In engaging in mathematical practices that use mathematical reasoning, um, not just memorizing formulas. And using mathematical skills across content areas and contexts. So, in both of reading and mathematics, there's an explicit push to bring science and social studies into an integrated way so that if you could learn science, you could learn science in third grade by reading about scientists and what they do, or fifth grade, or ninth grade, so uh, the Common Core envisions what we've talked about for years, uh, quote, reading across the curriculum. There's another uh, one I got from Linda Darling-Hammond, but I I like these words. Uh, Educators will find these words as as just different from I'd say what we were there was nowhere near the focus let's put it this way in the last round of standards that there is in this one on these kinds of things uh, model, construct, compare, investigate, build, estimate, and evaluate uh, and so <clears throat> the um, the, the, whole, the whole gestalt of it and, and deeper learning and so on has changed uh, and I think when you look at this, uh, and you look at all the policies and instruments we're now using in the state, and you say, are you really going to do this uh, in a state-level policy? Now, I'm referring to the state-level policy. You know, you, you, don't, you have to change just vast amounts of things uh, in order to enable you uh, to do this. So this, is, this slide I would use as a springboard for almost everything changes. Because I don't, we really don't, that isn't the way we were proceeding with our last assessments and our last uh, standards. So that, I think, stands as a, as a summary of, of what we're trying to do. In, in the English language arts area, uh, one of the major to stress the implications for and linkage to higher education. The main feedback we got from four year higher education uh, has been on reading for students who are accepted is these students cannot read informational nonfiction very well uh, and what they're getting in high school is a lot of English literature and that's terrific and you know back to beowulf super but you know that's not going to help you when you get an economics textbook or you're reading a child development study there's just something very different about that so the push to nonfiction reading and research and reflection Is very important. So to round this off, this is a new ball game in concept and theory, uh, and you can't just proceed along with the way you've been doing things before. Uh, Basically, all our policy, key policies across the board, uh, are really up in smoke, and uh, we have to replace them all, and then have uh, uh, the the, uh, locals implement it. And that'll be, of course, the hard part. Now, the good news is uh, that the Common Core standards, uh, in terms of doing, again, state policy, reprise and will have us do over again the same thing we did roughly between 1990 and 2005. And here's, you know, the big words that we use are systemic standards-based reform. So systemic is throughout the system, Standards-based is based on the standards reform. We did systemic standards-based reform before. If you look at California, uh, we have a set of standards. We have a set of of assessments. uh, We have a set of materials. We have a set of teacher training policies. We have uh, brought together a number of our policies in the past uh, to reinforce the current standards we have. So for people like me who have been through several rounds of this, it's, you know, as President Reagan said, here we go again. I mean, I sort of know what I have to do. Uh, It's how to do it and how well we do it uh, will be important. So the key thing in my mind and my colleague's mind and in in the legislature in California has been uh, basically very helpful in rewriting all the statutes to let us do what we need to do uh, not all of them, rewriting many of them, um, uh, that all relevant state policies need to be aligned to the common core. These were the, uh, and coherent state policy is essential. This is, uh, this is the these words, a lot, systemic standards-based reform, aligned policies, coherent policies, those are the guidelines that I use and my colleagues in our minds as to what we're trying to do here. I'll go back to 1977 to 1981 when I was president of the state board. Before I discovered to my horror that there was a group over there doing curriculum frameworks, and that was a, professors were working on those basically. So we had frameworks for English language arts and mathematics and history and so on. And then there was another group that didn't talk to the group doing the framework. They were selecting the textbooks. So the textbooks and the frameworks weren't well linked, as well-linked as they could. And a third group, which was a division in another building, doing the assessment. And I said, do you guys talk to the standards and frameworks and the material?" Oh, no, we just do the assessment. So, uh, you know, you, this is an example of incoherent, unaligned, and we certainly have come that far in, in, these, uh, in these recent years. So that's my, uh, those are my guidelines. So now we get to what you have as your first handout. So what has to happen here? Uh, and so the English language, math, and science common core standards, we're going to be uh, adopting the next generation science standards in two thirteen. so I'm including science in here. There's no concrete plans I know of for history social science. Uh there is some group at the National Council of Social Studies working on it, but at this point, I have nothing to work with. So that so I know that I have these standards. So at the center of your policy wheel are these standards. And every one of these policies around the wheel at state and local level uh, has to be aligned then to the new standards. So they have to be rewritten, re-legislated, and so on. And if I do that, then I will get coherent and aligned policy. Uh, so I'll give you explanations of those and then uh, demonstrate concretely how we're doing it um, specifically in California. I could give this, this could apply anywhere. So as you, uh, as you align these strategies, you also look for policy gaps. What, you, what don't you have in the wheel? Uh, conflicts between policy conflicts are like the old days where the assessment didn't match up very well with the curriculum framework and then lack of depth obviously in uh, in, in service and professional development are you really reaching the teachers in depth so I, you can have a policy but do you have a plan to get to uh, 300,000 teachers okay so you start then I'll start with the top of the wheel if, if you have new standards that are dramatically different uh, then you want to uh, perhaps work somewhat to make the content specifically to California. Uh, we were allowed 15% add-on, so you had to take as a state. If you adopted the Common Core, you had to have the Common Core as 85% of your curriculum, and then you could add on 15%. So we're working on the 15% add-ons, or in some cases, these are resequencing uh, the content of our of our standards. Uh, you have to have instructional materials of all types that are aligned to these new standards. Of course, every publisher out there took their old books and stamped a line to Common Core on the front and sent them out with a dramatic announcement, so uh, you need a real uh, big uh, screen to look at that stuff. Uh, and so we're in the process of trying to adopt short-term materials now that are out there they're called supplemental materials not adopt them but make recommendations to local districts what is aligned and then you have to rethink your digital programming uh, we have uh, uh, instructional materials online at that the state has uh, blessed and approved and, um, and and in that regard you have to uh, redo all those so uh, you have quite a, a significant role there uh, so I'm sure some in the audience will think, well, I see a gap here, and that'd be interesting. I'll add that to the chart if you see the gaps. Uh, then you have to redo all the state assessments. So I've got a huge problem in that I've got uh, the Smarter Balanced will give us assessments for grades 3 through 8 in English, Language, Arts, and Math, and 11th grade in English, Language, Arts, and Math. So think of a, of a, of a matrix where you have all the grades and all the subjects, well I've got no assessments for pre-K through two, maybe I shouldn't have any, but they're there, I've got nothing for nine and 10 in English language arts and math, Uh, and I've got nothing in grade 12, and I've got nothing so far from anybody in science and history social studies, and we give exams in California for physics, biology, world history, we have what are called end of course tests, they're all up in smoke because they don't align to the common core. Uh, our assessments, of course, are overwhelmingly moldable choice. Uh, the common core cannot be assessed through 100, 100% through moldable choice. We spend $10 a pupil assessing them. Can't possibly do this job for $10 a pupil. Uh, so there are a myriad of assessment issues. I'll come back to those uh, uh, when I summarize it up. Then you go over to the other side of the curriculum on my right, and you will look at principal teacher policy, your pre-service teacher policy. Is that aligned to the Common Core? All those professors of education—they've uh, been doing things with their yellowed notes for years. What are they? Uh, you know, something has to be done about them. Uh, the uh, pre- professional development uh, uh, is uh, is a huge task. I mean, it's mind-boggling. Uh, in terms of the professional development we'll have to do more on that in a minute, and then teacher evaluation. Uh, My hope is that that the Common Core will reframe the acrimonious debate about teacher evaluation to a set of assessments, including formative assessments, uh, that will be produced under Common Core by, in our case, the Smarter Balanced Assessment Consortium, and it will be able to get away from this thing of which I sympathize with. I don't want to be assessed by all multiple choice tests that aren't aligned across the grades. Our current assessment is not vertically aligned, meaning the second, third, fourth grade assessments are essentially cross-cutting, and they don't have a construct to go across the grades even. So maybe we'll change the evaluation discussion uh, in that regard. Another huge area is special education. Uh, Many of our pupils in California take the California Modified Assessment. Which is a different level of assessment for lower level, really. Uh, and that is based on our current standards, not on the Common Core. So special education will have to be rethought. Moving to the right, waivers and flexibility. Uh, the California State Code is so long that at my age I no longer lift it. Well, you know, I have a student lift it and hand it to me. Uh, uh, it is, you know, a build up over years like the the geographic analysis of a mountain. You know, there's a Paleozoic Age under Jessundra and another age. And, and, you know, how the heck can you do this when you have these restrictions that are uh, in there forever? So uh, the State Board of Education has the right to waive most things in the California State Education Code. So we need a policy for massive waivers, not this one-by-one retail game we now have where they come up and ask for each little waiver one-by-one. These have to be packaged in some way, and the whole waiver policy needs to be rethought. Finance. The school finance system, that is another historical accretion of nonsense. Uh, That has 62 categorical programs. There's no state in the nation that approaches 62 categorical programs. So you're supposed to come up with a comprehensive change uh, of your curriculum and your basic way of instruction. And you're hemmed in by 62 state funding streams and then there's another 22 from the federal government that come down. So the governor has proposed a a, um, weighted pupil formula to basically clean out everything. And make it real simple Uh, you get the amount of money you get depends on the number of pupils you have Uh, and then it's based on the number of those pupils extra weights 20 to 30 percent more for low-income pupils and English learners who are not low-income and we would keep transportation in there uh, and a few other things but basically you need a much more flexible f- funding system, and I'm sure my local colleagues here that I recognize would say we need a hell of a lot more funding—not uh, just a nice dist- better distribution or a, di- a distribution of it. Uh, I think that will be uh, certainly, uh, you know, that's obviously needed, and we can't implement it at this at this level. Uh, down along the bottom of the wheel, English learners. Uh, We have 25% of our pupils, about 1.5 million that are English learners. Uh, That whole, we had a separate English language learner framework for curriculum and instruction. uh, One of the authors of redoing that was uh, in the audience, Kenji Hakuta. We need to link that, that wasn't really a framework, it was sort of a mishmash of things in some ways, so we have uh, already approved a new English language uh, uh, curricular instruction framework, which is aligned to the Common Core, and then you can scaffold English learners up from the Common Core, uh, quite a complex area, and much to my surprise, uh, <coughs> the uh, Uh, everybody came to our board meeting and endorsed this new English Language Learner Framework. English Learner uh, Framework and curriculum have been a battleground in California. One of my predecessors as State Board of Education uh, Presidents and a former student at the Stanford School of Education, Reed Hastings, who now has, has headed and created Netflix, Hastings was denied reconfirmation on the State Board of Education Uh, because of his views on English learner instruction. And so now we had this love in in Sacramento last month, which really was uh, very surprising and so on uh, to me. Uh, But we're at least, uh, we're hopeful there. Curriculum, uh, I'm sorry, career and technical education. is a real problem. I don't know how to do this. Um, I am on record as arguing that the Common Core sort of faked this. Uh, they, may, they say their standards are college and career ready. Uh, and yes, if you, you know, are college ready, you're, you're more likely to be career ready. But if you think about it in levels, they, so they, may, they may no distinction between that. Uh, whereas uh, other people are pointing out that there's all kinds of jobs, let's just take in the medical field, that don't take a four-year college, uh, that may take, take some form of post-secondary education, could be a year or some of that sort of thing. I don't know how to think about that. I mean, I was over uh, last year in the auto collision shop at Delta College in Stockton and they're in there repairing collision cars that have collided. You know, you can't ship those to China and repair them, so there'll be jobs there. Uh, And they get certificates as an auto auto collision certificated repair person. Uh, Where does that all fit into this? Uh, How do we think about that? Uh, we haven't really, we've discussed this. Um, the very few people from what are career and tech education participate in the Common Core deliberations. So this is an area which we need to work on. Finally, college readiness on the wheel. Uh, that I've talked about earlier, uh, but we're, I'm expecting we'll be, you know, having college ready indicators as early as fifth grade perhaps. and and, uh, you know you're on a track or you're not for college readiness clearly at 11th grade we're we're, uh, going to have a college readiness indicator for all students that's too late for a lot of things to be done but so we'll be working back but very much the assessment system will be built around concepts and integration with college readiness okay so Here we go, all right, now, what are we doing? I won't take a lot of time on this, but it'll just give you, so uh, first I'm gonna do the instructional framework stage. Uh, So that's in the back of your thing, so flip it over and you'll see what I've got here. Um, So if you look at this, you have feeding in there. Uh, We have a common, this is now our state machinery. What what I'm presenting to you now is the, uh, I call them the entities. Uh, that I work with week by week to implement this, and it gives you an idea how every so many things are changing. Uh, So the Common Core State Standards, we're actually, as we have, redoing the standards. Uh, We have the right from the legislature to reconsider, for example, uh, how we handle grade 8 mathematics issues. That's going to be a hot issue. We have the English Language Development Standards Panel. That... um, uh, I've referred to, they have a lot of work to do to continue their work. I mean, they've, uh, they've just begun in terms of getting some agreement on, on, on concepts, but they need to follow through on, on, uh, on that. And we have the Next Generation Science Standards coming along from the National Research Council. Uh, we're a participant in, with 25 other states as lead states in that effort, and we'll adopt those in 2013. Uh, so they'll feed into that. The legislature, with our request, under the request of the Brown administration, created a new commission, a super commission, uh, if you will, called the Instructional Quality Commission, uh, of which the state board appoints all members. And um, I app- uh, appointed the chair, a former colleague and friend on the State Board of Education, Bill Honig, former twice-elected state superintendent of public instruction in California. Uh, so, uh, between Jerry Brown and Honig and Kirst, I call it the rise of the septuagenarians. And so, and watch, out, watch out for those octogenarians there, you know, around the corner. So, uh, the Instructional Quality Commission then integrates this, but they also have a charge for what I talked about in terms of policy alignment and policy coherent. They are also to uh, work on standards and adoption of uh, and recommendations of materials uh, for the standards, but to look at how the assessments are linked and how uh, professional development is linked and to help uh, advise us on how these pieces fit together, which is the theme of the wheel. Now, the instructional materials process... We have all these other states doing similar things. Why can't a local district grab something quickly from New York if that's good? Well, the, good, the answer is they can. We got through a law saying that essentially uh, the old California adoption process, which did in, went along in six to eight-year cycles of adopting mostly textbooks, that went away. It's not your father's Oldsmobile, Uh, and essentially what we're going to do is more like a consumer report agency saying, we've been through a process required by the state, uh, which has to look at the social uh, context of these materials and uh, and all that sort of, and and involve teachers and so on. So we're going to run a process, and we're going to come up with what we recommend in materials of all types, digital and otherwise. If you want to uh, do, adopt something locally, you have to go through the same process we do uh, in terms of who you involve and, and the procedural steps. So we think most people will look at our will will use our recommendations. I'm not sure what will happen there. Uh, and then at the top you see some of the problems. Uh, so look at those timelines. Uh, we've got remember as you look at these timelines, we've got the assessments, from smarter balance to new assessments coming in 2.13, uh, 2.14. Notice, 2.14, we're going to adopt the mathematics instructional materials, and 2.17, 18, we'll adopt the English language arts materials. So there's you know some lags here between the assessments uh, and the implementation schedule. This is, uh, and so how are we going to manage this transition? I don't know. Uh, I know Texas with its, uh, does its own thing. Uh, they came in with a new assessment last year, uh, this year, I should say. Uh, uh, no, it was last year. Um, it was down there when they did it. You know, it was uh, f- uh, in the spring of, uh, of two twelve this year. And so uh, they actually called a moratorium on accountability for uh, some years while they phased a new system in. So the phasing in, I'm not sure. Uh, you're gonna have kids who are, uh, have been in the system a long time. You know, you're gonna give them an 11th grade test. They've been taught on a different set of standards. You know, how does all this work? That, that's uh, something to be determined. Uh, but this is as fast as we can do it, given some of the timelines time that we have. So that gives you one look at it, and then over here would be the assessment programs. Uh, remember, we're going to have to align the assessment. So um, we have grade, working from the bottom. The Smarter Balanced Assessment Consortium, they will be releasing in 2013 sample items uh, to the um, districts. All districts can take them that want to. Uh, and then there's a statewide assessment and reauthorization work group. That's the group pl- trying to figure out my dilemma of what do we do in the grades that Smarter Balance doesn't cover—grades 9 and 10, uh, pre-K through 2. Uh, we don't have to, and, and, and uh, science and history, social studies. We're talking about lots of uh, perhaps matrix sampling. We got into this mania that you have to test every kid in every subject every bloody year. Okay, I, I, you know, I don't see how we can do that in, this if, uh, in, in the future. We can't maybe afford it, so we could make this, already the school is the unit of accountability, in large part, so we could matrix sample schools therefore not give the test to every pupil, uh, and therefore have some of these measures that are school-based accountability and some of which you give to every pupil and are are also uh, pupil reports. So we're talking about sampling procedures. This is still a work in progress. We're to uh, work on that. But again, you see we're going to align the assessment uh, and uh, and the standards. And then lastly, over here, if you've changed your standards and your assessments, Remember, you have to line your policies and you have to rethink them. You've got to change your whole accountability system. Uh, and we got a law, which is Senate Bill 1458 uh, from the legislature. As I said, they've been very good in passing these laws saying you can you know, open it up and do it differently. Um, and so this authorizes the state board uh, to come up with a new academic performance index, uh, and to lower the emphasis, uh, m- we must lower the emphasis on just straight assessments and look at other measures of college and career readiness. Now, I don't know what those are going to be at this point. We've got two years to figure it out. Uh, and we have an advisory committee uh, to, that we've mobilized to work with us on that. Uh, Stanford's own Ed Hartle has played a key role in that group for many years, and I hope we can keep him in the future Um, so you have a lot of working groups if you look across the middle level you have these working groups the uh, the working group the instructional quality commission the statewide assessment reauthorization work group these are mixture of local educators higher educators uh, higher education people and so on and then we have the public school uh, accountability act so this is actually the machinery and, you know, when I first unveiled this to superintendents, like, holy crow, uh, I had no idea. I mean, and I, you know, I don't have, this is just the beginning part of my policy wheel. I have nothing on here about finance, nothing on here about special ed, nothing on here about career and technical education. Uh, but we're getting around to it, and we have, most, we have proposals on virtually every area except see, uh, the curriculum and, and technical education uh, at this point. So uh, I had on my notes here some other things that will change. Uh, a colleague of mine, uh, and Chester Finn, have, uh, wrote about, he, he wrote an article saying common core standards changes everything. Notice I'm more academic, almost I said everything. <laughs> and, uh, so others he had on his list were preschool. Preschool will obviously have to be more oriented to the common core. Uh, and I have not mentioned that except in assessment terms. Uh, all form, new forms of technology. I come by this lab every day over here, and I said, if I could get those guys to work on one thing uh, and that would be useful, it would be professional development packages for teachers that we can use digitally and, uh, and, and blended learning. We had a lot of money the last time California did standards in 2000, ton of money. Uh, that was the dot-com boom. We've collected $24 billion in income taxes from just capital gains. Spent it all immediately, of course, uh, in that year, uh, and leveraged it into the budget forever. And and so, uh, they, uh, th- th- we don't have that money, as you well know. So, how do you? Re- what kind of materials for teachers would enable them to make this transition? I, we don't have the money to bring them to. Santa Cruz for a week and work with them and so on and or even to feed them lunch anymore. So uh, I'm not quite sure, you know, how that will work. But it'll, the technology needs to uh, change. Um, higher education will have to make some adaptation adapt, adaptations to this. If we go through all this and our colleagues in higher ed say, well, the only thing that matters is SAT and ACT. You know, I'm gonna jump out of a fifth floor window or something, I mean. uh, But that's what happened last time. They totally ignore us. Uh, uh, The University of California runs its Holy of Holies A to G uh, and then, you know, is uh, banging away off the SAT and the ACT. So we've got to get buy-in from them. Uh, The most, uh, we've involved higher education people very closely, Beverly Young, academic officer for Cal State U, is uh, our appointee to the Smarter Balanced Assessment Commission. She's on the inner board of 10 or so people that are at the apex of it. The community colleges have viewed Common Core as their potential savior. With 70% plus in remediation, they see this game as the only one to really help them, and the early college readiness uh, focus Uh, as crucial to where they are. By the time you get to 11th grade, it's often the story is over. Uh, And lastly, of course, it will change, hopefully, if we even get our Congress to do anything. No child left behind. Uh, And then the National Assessment of Education Progress, as well, the the nation's report card. So uh, those will have to change. So maybe I've given you a little overview of change and hope and the future, and you see little bit of what I work on, and uh, now we can have a discussion. The floor is open.
1: Uh, in just a moment, our executive director Janice Jackson will come up here to field questions and make sure that everybody gets a chance to get their questions in. Um, I would like to note that um, this talk has given us at at least the three big takeaways for me. Uh, One was uh, how daunting all of this is. Uh, A second was um, the utility of having a map of, you know, sort of where all these changes are likely to be. And the third is that I have developed even more empathy for Mike. (laughs) (laughs) And his job and that of the state board and that of districts who are, Uh, You know, also well represented here. I see several school board members and others who are, I know, eager to learn what's coming at them. So we should uh, enter this conversation with a great spirit of empathy for all of the folks who are going to be trying to get this done. Uh, We also, uh, as Mike mentioned, have uh, here a a major project at Stanford on English language learners and the Common Core. Where is Kenji? I saw him come in. He's kind of sitting down here in one of these armchairs. If you want to burrow deep on that, Kenji can tell you more about about that piece of it. Um, I serve as an advisor to the Smarter Balanced Assessment Consortium, and I can tell you that the changes there are also going to be quite remarkable. And if you're interested in seeing the assessments, you can Google uh, Smarter Balanced Assessment Consortium. There is, just as of last week, a set of new items and tasks that are exemplars of what's coming. Uh, so just to give you a, a sense of how many changes there will be, um, in addition to the assessments that students would take, which are computer-adaptive and what will include a lot more constructive response items and technology-enhanced items and so on, there will be performance tasks uh, that will ask students to do things like take up uh, an issue, a controversial social-scientific issue, one of the tasks on the website shows um, nuclear power conversation. They have to go in and Google uh, to find information about the scientific issues and the uh, historical issues. Uh, they have to develop research. They have to evaluate the quality of the research that they find on the web. They have to design and write an essay uh, and revise that essay to take a position and to explain their position with respect to whether a nuclear power plant should be built. You know, in their neighborhood, for example. So, just to give you a sense of how everything will change, it is really quite uh, substantial. Yeah, and the
0: computer adaptive is important because uh, the computer will shift you up if you're doing well. It'll shift you up in your challenge of your items, and if you're not doing well, it will shift you down. Uh, So, the whole computer adaptive framework uh, is really quite bold. we will have a technology survey coming out soon as to what our technological capabilities are in California to, enter, to implement the computer adaptive system in about a month or so. So that's a real challenge. Moving you down means to me that we can reconsider an exit exam. You don't have to have you know a standardized separate california exit exam that's a possibility I, I mean it's certainly on the table at this point uh, in terms of the new technology so and then think about all the students you know they don't know how to click and drag and all that sort of thing on computers so the preparation for a computer adaptive assessment that's fair to students is really also another huge issue so, yeah. um. so
1: let's us uh, let's uh bring comments, questions to Mike. Dance yes, is gonna help uh make sure everybody who's trying to speak gets a chance to do so. alrighty. But way in the back over here. Uh there as I was gonna say there would be microphones coming around, so if you oh. could speak it's a mic. I didn't know there was a microphone. This is intimidating.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um I was just wondering you mentioned the computer adaptive testing. Um if any thought has been given to the funding issues that underlie that. I know teaching in Oakland I was on a good day, had two computers to 22 students, um, which seems to present a uh, challenge in implementation.
0: Yeah, now this is just an assessment, it, it, so you, and you can take it over, Linda, a six-week period? Twelve-week window. Twelve-week window. So you would then have to muster at Oakland Unified, uh, hopefully with a, some help, uh, enough computers to run this assessment over a 12-week period.
1: <laughs> there actually is a technology uh, uh, readiness survey that's going on right now to so be sure that everybody has. But you might only take one class a day over the course of the 20
2: years. Okay, other questions? Right? If you hold your hands up nice and hot, thank you.
1: Right over here. Thank you for uh, talking with us today. Uh, my question is about um, the college readiness indicators you had mentioned that um, the indicators may start as early as fifth grade and i'm wondering if there have been specific discussions of what those indicator indicators will be whether they'll be purely cognitive non-cognitive uh, what are the nature of the college readiness indicators
0: yeah uh... well as as you're alluding to there's lots of things that make you college ready uh... and they're not just academic so uh, I worked on a, a chair to a task force to put college preparedness on the national assessment of education progress. Uh, and we also, we recommended, and the, uh, the national assessment is pursuing this, that there also be various cuts on the national assessment for career and technical education levels. Uh, dental assistant or something. Uh, would be, uh, and actually we're, we've been exploring on that effort with, some, with heating and air conditioning uh, as an example. So uh, it would, you could do both college and some career readiness uh, areas that are, go beyond it. But to answer your question now directly, I think we're talking about the academic preparedness part of college readiness. Uh, that was what we carefully hedged the national assessment report in. There's a whole lot of things of college readiness. We'll tell you something about the academic preparedness, uh, and that. So at this point, that's what's been entering the discussion. It might broaden out. Clearly, if you look at this accountability system here, the author of this, Senator Steinberg's view was uh, what, that there needs to be much more, whoops, uh, done to that. And so. Uh, That will, um, that will. So I think we will we will be considering uh, to give you some thought. We have to under this California uh, Senate Bill fourteen fifty eight. We have to look at broader indicators, and will uh, in in that regard. So uh, that's uh, that will be considered. Um, But people have really come back to just suggesting. Course uh, sequences and that sort of thing, and all the latest discussion, as you may know, is heavily around grit and persistence and uh, various uh, characteristics students have. I think those are really important uh, in that regard. In it, and so we'll certainly we will certainly deliberate under under that uh, two uh, California accountability system on these broader measures. Because that's what, and the legislature wrote in a 60 percent limit on assessment. So you can see that the political structure is really trying to force the educators to get broader. What that's going to look like, I don't know, but it's interesting that you have official policy that's that's working on that and is more oriented around the secondary level. I'll
2: go way in the back over here, and then I'll move toward the front.
3: Thanks.
1: Thanks, Mike. I've got a question about uh, alignment with AP
0: and IB classes in the 12th grade. Do you see any sort of implications for that here? Uh, Well, they're outside our control, just the way SAT is uh, and and, and, uh, uh, and ACT. um, Just to mention ACT, I have heard that they're going to come up with their own Common Core-oriented aligned assessment, uh, and they're going to enter the fray as a vendor. Uh, and I would welcome that uh, more vendors, the better uh, in in the future. Now, on um, the College Board, they appointed one of the authors and great supporters and designers of the College Board as their new as their new head. They got rid of the former governor of West Virginia. He retired, I should say, uh, and. Uh, and so David Coleman, 40-something-year-old, 45-plus uh, uh, David Coleman comes in, and he first thing he says is, "I want to take College Board and align it with a Common Core." Uh, and I thought, God, how did he ever get appointed head of the College Board? But uh, you know, <laughs> somehow they did it. And uh, and so he just gave an interview to Education Week last week on reiterating his interest there. As you know, there's been a lot of dissatisfaction with the AP tests, and they have, they, the College Board has recently overhauled some of them. You know, they've finally pushed biology beyond a, mostly a memorization exercise, as something called advanced placement. And so, yeah, I think that we had the stars are aligned in terms of the leadership of the board uh, to to work on that. IB, I don't know enough about IB to comment. Except my superficial impression was IB was always in this game when we're talking about Common Core, uh, and that they're we're, they're very close to the spirit of what we were doing. I don't, I never have looked that much into their implementation. So. Um, I, think, um, I, I think this movement in the college board and in ACT indicates they're getting the message, too, and they may not just try and – it doesn't look like they're go- those two organizations are going to try and stand outside and ignore K-12 the way it happened in the last round.
4: Um, you've spoken a lot about the statewide implementation but I was wondering if you could shed some light on the key changes that would need to be made on the district level for ex- successful implementation?
0: Yeah, I don't have a great deal to say about that in detail um, and in the sense that we have separate staff working on that but the state's capacity to assist you is extremely limited. Uh, the California Department of Education has a, a useful website. Uh, on that for districts uh, the, from the state perspective we will rely heavily on county offices of education to assist us in that uh, county offices of education have some flexible money under proposition 98 to do that sort of thing uh, We, they have mobilized some leadership in particular counties to help district leadership uh, in this uh, i I. I guess my first uh, stage would be uh, making district people aware of how much will change and how, how big a job they have in front of them. I mean, they've got to make sure then if our policies are aligned and coherent, their policies are aligned and coherent. Uh, but they've got the difficult job of figuring out how to set up various professional learning groups and others uh, to bring this off. I, I do follow some districts more closely than others, Fresno Unified, Garden Grove Unified, Long Beach Unified, among three. And they have already mobilized professional learning communities among teachers in some of the subject matters to not only be aware of this, but to work on actual tasks and begin to consider uh, how they have to revise what they teach and uh, their curriculum. So um, it's, I think that's a, you know, that, I, th- I think somebody, uh, I haven't seen many road maps like I'm laying out here for you uh, on the district level. They might exist out there. The other thing I would look at is, to, is just look at other states. There's 45 of us in D.C. in this game, and uh, what are they doing? Uh, you know, and I don't know whether, Linda, you could comment on that question.
1: districts in the state in uh, curriculum materials, learning progressions, and so on. So uh, if I were looking at states that have made a lot of headway, I would look at places, especially in New England, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Vermont, New Hampshire, where they've developed quite a lot of good uh, materials in terms of uh, curriculum supports and uh, supports for districts to begin to do professional development. Yes, Mm -hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah, like Fresno. And 950 districts in California that are relatively small are just sort of a a big continuum.
2: And rural districts are also struggling as well, you know, because they don't have as much capacity as the larger districts, the larger urban. Uh, I said I'd come to the gentleman here, and then I'm going to come back over to this side.
3: Well, that was my question, but another one also is where is CTA... Were CTA about all this? Are they in on the ground floor?
0: Yeah, they have been. Uh, I mean, this, is a, this area of Common Core has not led to the um, same disputes we've seen in some other areas between teacher organizations. The CTA's attitude has been this is the kind of direction we wanted to go, we want to go as professional teachers. Uh, our objections. Uh, for example, on teacher evaluation, uh, you know, the the mullable choice tests are are really uh, not what we think is a fair measure of what we can do and what we ought to aspire to as professional teachers. And so, so far, they have been uh, consistent supporters uh, of this uh, movement and um, uh, have worked hard to help us. So so, um, it's... It's not an area, uh, you know. You want to take on the, the, you know, the trilogy of more charter schools and teacher evaluation using 50% test scores, and some of those issues, you're going to get splits. But this area, so far, uh, at least, has been more uh, harmonious. So, to the extent that we're developing these state policies, we haven't seen any significant pushback from teacher. Uh, uh, CTA uh, or, or CFT on any of, of what we're doing other than we want to be involved and we've been carefully involving them I'd say one thing the the brown administration has done has been you know f- careful to involve teachers in, in, in significant ways in all of these processes Superintendent Tom Torlakson is also very uh, sensitive to that issue and, and knows how to do it
1: I wanted to start by saying thank you. Um,
3: I actually have several questions, I think this might be the two important ones. Um, Would it help, as some people have suggested, to reduce the number of local education authorities to combine school districts so that we're
0: not replicating this whole process a thousand times? And I'm asking here both about the transition and about the long-term effects. And I'll ask another question at the same time. Uh, have you? F- what is the effect of the transition on
3: students who are currently in K-12 at various levels? Thanks.
0: Yeah, uh, on the first one, I don't think about that much you know, as a hypothetical because it isn't going to happen. Um, I, in, you and I probably go back to when we were consolidated school, consolidating school districts around this state. That happened dramatically in the 60s. And in the early 70s, and by the time I got on the state board in 75, there was virtu- there was almost no, no interest in uh, school consolidation. Most of the cases we hear in the state board, and we have to approve all the school district reorganizations, are people who want to secede from districts and form smaller districts. Uh, so it went from hearing things on consolidation to pleas for secession. Uh, and there's just no political... Ground up swell at all, ground uh, up swell to to consolidate districts that I can see. So I haven't, I, you know, given that much thought, and I don't see any political legs in that uh, in, in that uh, line of uh, area of, of concern. Um, on the second question, you know, frankly, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you'll have to phase in. You can have students taking the assessment. Um uh that's new, but what can you do about accountability on it is another question. So they could take it uh, and, uh so I think we can do that. So I think it's partly an accountability issue, but partly it's a it's you know, I study for, eight years or nine years in school and now you give me an assessment that's very different than anything I've had before and we've been drilled on the star test and, uh, you know, given pizza if we did well and so on. And uh, I mean, all of a sudden it's a signal change that's dramatic. So, uh, all of this uh, is, I think, important. Uh, I guess my only solace is I have a lot of company in this problem. It's not like the old class system when we were doing this on our own in the middle 80s. So, Um, I mean, uh, people that I know, like Mike Smith, who is former dean here and the number two federal official, uh, he really projects that it's 2018 till you'll begin to have this thing really on the floor in the classrooms. Uh, And so what are we going to do in the interim? Because we have these uh, insistent uh, demands for accountability. And uh, I understand those, and so it's a problem. So, accountability people uh, that are really pro accountability, they're very concerned about how the uh, how the Common Core is going to go. Um, But if Texas can delay accountability, maybe we can too. I don't know.
2: (laughs) Wait for the mic. Oh, okay. sorry. Uh, one question is: How do you envision preschool curriculum being aligned to the Common Core? Given that early childhood education is so important to future success, and that we have transition kindergartens now in California. And then my second question is: um, The technology survey that that you're um, on the way that's that's happening. Um, is it looking only at district capacity or also communities where children are affected by the digital divide and will not have opportunity to practice um, using a computer at home?
0: Yeah, uh, on the first one, um, both are good questions. Uh, I, It will put much more pressure on preschool to be, if you will, more academic, more instructional. Uh I, you know, the old Head Start ideology that, you know, instruction needs to be less intense in preschool or really fairly low. I'm going back to the 70s now in that view, but uh, I think that really will be challenged strongly. Um, if you look at the mathematics side of this and the movement there, um, it, it really um, uh, would you know, be greatly aided by stronger mathematics programs in preschool. So uh, I think we'll be looking at that as well as, of course, the traditional concern on English language arts. So I think preschool people uh, and um, other officials need to uh, sit down and talk about these implications in quite a bit of depth. Um, I doubt if, you know, there'll be a big row in California about whether we should assess students in grade two. Uh, the, um, the Smarter Balanced assessment system and, and the uh, federal contract that they hold, uh, so it's federal policy, really starts in grade three. We've always assessed in grade two uh, in recent years, uh, so that does have a backdraft on the preschool uh, expectations as well. So I don't have a detailed roadmap uh, for you. I just think it's, a, it's, it's not on our chart at this point. It's interesting that it's not um, uh, noteworthy, I would think, and, and I'll think about it some more. And second, um, it, uh, it really will, uh, I think, have severe, significant uh, uh, implications. One thing that will help is that the Common Core is better sequenced. Uh, it's not just these big globs of learn everything. It has a much better sequencing, uh, and, and it has more of an idea of learner progression to it, as Linda mentioned. All of that then could be backtracked into the preschool grades in a, a preschool programs and preschool experiences, not grades, um, as a way to, uh, as, and what those implications are. Uh, but that's a, you know, it, it's interesting that... Um, that we have not really—I don't have—I, you know, I really didn't mention that here, and that's a—that's a really uh, good point. Uh, we need to get something going uh, that aligns uh, preschool. We didn't really do that last time very well. The last standards-based reform that led to the current California standards—I mean, I don't recall a big effort to sequence it in from pre-K up, uh, and so. Uh, that's one I'm going to think about and take away from this meeting. Your second question was, oh, digital. Yes, I get. Uh, yeah, there will be paper and pencil versions uh, for the first three years uh, at least. So uh, students who cannot, you know, do well on the computer will uh, computer adaptive system will be able to do a pencil and paper system. How good that'll be? when you're really thinking computer adaptive how strong the paper and pencil can be is a, quite a uh, you know unknown to me at this point but they're committed to do it they meaning smarter balance they are contracted to provide the state with that paper pencil version and they will and
2: there was a question to her right
1: and then i'll come back to oh, I'll come over here and then to the, I'll move. um i remember the i don't know if you remember the school to career movement um, i i'm go- I'm kind of going up to the sixty thousand uh, foot level here. Mm-hmm. Um I hear all this talk about college readiness, and i it would i really college is not the goal. I think it's career is the goal. You know, your work life is the goal, and we keep talking as though college was the goal. I hope that's just a substitute word that really means workplace ready. So I'm wondering, have employers have any input whatsoever in any of this? I mean, Because most kids at this point don't go on to college unless we plan to extend uh, education, public education.
0: Well, um, uh, on the first item, 72% of our high school graduates go on to some form of post-secondary education. So by college, we're really... uh, The vision is, can you go on to post-secondary education of any form? Uh... And not be in a remedial or developmental class for what you want to do. So it is postgraduate education, shorthanded as college. Um, and so uh, that's uh, that. That I would say as a sort of first part. But your second part is is a more complex question. Uh, yes, business people have been involved, and yes, they've generally in. Uh, in, they have endorsed these Common Core standards. They really like them. Uh, I'm on the board of the Silicon Valley Education Foundation, dominated by tech businessmen, and uh, they, you know, I gave them 20 minutes on Common Core, and they were ecstatic, you know. we got to do this. This is terrific. This is much better than we have. Uh, they know what they do isn't reduced to a multiple-choice test with a little guessing, you know, and, uh, and that not all tests, you know, uh, SAT, everything's timed, you know? They realize, business, there's a little bit of reflection in life, you know? You don't have to answer this damn thing every 30 seconds in uh, the way we've assumed. And so the, um, uh, so that, that, so they have been involved, but there's also, your, I think what you're getting at the question as well is, there's a, a, related to Common Core, but somewhat separated from Common Core movement, called 21st Century Skills. So they, you know, put that in Google and you'll get their stuff, and they are really around a different perspective which is less oriented to what academics want, which is the college track, and after all, when you get there, you confront college professors. Uh, The 21st Century Skills people are really business people looking at what the people need to succeed in our various workplaces and what are the cross-cutting things that are there. Now, some of the common core is in there, uh, like communication skills, they feature that. But some aspects of what they want are not in there as much. Uh, they want a lot of working groups. You know, they're increasingly uh, working groups. And, you know, schools have to, we got to give you separate scores to take home, you know. And so uh, we got problems with working groups. Some of the performance assessment that Linda has developed and others has working groups in it, but that will you know be dominated so there's aspects like how work is actually completed in America now uh, that is that is that is we're are not in these so there's some tension there and so we're still you know to be frank driven from the academic preparation side for post-secondary education and some of what common core is much closer than the current standards to what, uh, to what these uh, 21st century skills people want, but it's not wholly designed there. Uh, you know, when you try and design just around w- what businesses want, Washington State tried to do that, and their assessment system was much more oriented to an active business community, and they just couldn't pull it off because they couldn't uh, uh, satisfy the academic preparedness people adequately.
3: It's a hard thing to bridge. Good afternoon. I'm Dennis Kelly. I'm the president of the United Educators of San Francisco. And I got down here a little bit late, missed much of what you said. But when I look at the chart up here, I see boards, committees, teams, governors. I don't see teachers. None of this is going to work unless you come down from the 60,000-foot elevation and make this relevant for teachers from United Educators we are a merged organization so we're active both within the AFT and the CTA and you are accurate in saying there is no pushback at this time from the CTA there is no buy-in however from the teachers what is going to be done what is planned in order to get the message to the teachers in such a way that the teachers will become enthusiastic about this program
0: right Uh, as I emphasized earlier and I think you you might have been here then we do have By specification of law, even lots of teachers on all of these bodies. And my talk was basically about state policy, and and how we're doing state policy. That's what I have some uh, some expertise to talk in. And I you know didn't really wasn't my objective here today to sketch in a detailed local implementation plan. But not only do we need buy-in by teachers, as you well know, we also need the capacity of teachers uh, and their ability to do this uh, if this hasn't been the way they've been oriented around teaching. And so I, I think that is a crucial, uh, that's really in a stage below. You know, If you had another slide, I'd have, and then there's this next level, and we're in uh, 100% agreement on that, uh, and I don't have a, de- a plan at this point to detail do that. It's not something the state's particularly good at. Uh, we're not that great at reaching every teacher and inspiring them. Uh, and so uh, we sort of do what we can do. Uh, but I think that's that, that's the game will be won or lost there. Uh, so I'm trying in this talk to get the policy right, if you will, and then... Uh, If we can get that right, at least we can go to teachers with something that's coherent and aligned uh, and doesn't have them uh, moving around with all kinds of of mixed messages. Uh, But we do have, as you would know, some goodwill here that this is a vision that they like, uh, and the question is how we do it. One of the failings of systemic standards-based reform, uh, and I talked about the history of it, is that, you, uh, there's a professor at uh, Harvard, Richard Elmore, who has something I endorse for years known as Elmore's Law. Uh, if you put, you have some scales here, and if you put 50 pounds more on the accountability side, you have to put 50% more on the capacity building side to make it work. The history of America, and for teachers, has been, we put 50 pounds on the accountability side and put 10 pounds on the capacity side then hold the teachers accountable and then uh, say they aren't doing their job and that has been you know a consistent kind of, of mistake in policy making so uh, that's that's one we're aware of in trying to avoid so he wants a balanced scale uh, but it's a lot easier for state policy uh, to double down on accountability and not double down on capacity building so at least we've learned the, the lessons from the past uh... and i think it'll be an important uh... aspect of this um, we're just so limited in capacity at the state level to figure you know to do that and execute it. uh... so we're gonna, you know there's a whole lot of infrastructure organizations your comment brings up yeah here's state government and i'm a state official but to make this come off, we need all sorts of intermediate-level organizations, community-based organizations, professionally-based organizations, uh, and, and a whole infrastructure of things. Uh, the best we can do is to give them something that maybe is pretty good to work with in terms of the policies that they have to implement. But I haven't, you know, I monitor the uh, the press and the, and the uh, all the educa- a lot of the education. Media stuff and other everything. I don't read a lot about your question. You know, solutions to your question. I hear people saying we got to do it, but I don't see. Well, we did it, and here's how you ought to do it. Uh, I'd read that very carefully if I ever saw it. Uh, so it's not being as highly developed uh, in in that regard. Some of the bigger school districts are better at this because they have more capacity to do it.
1: Um, So, let's try the 30,000-foot level. We have got the Common Core state standards and they are benchmarked internationally. So, we've obviously turned our attention to what other high-performing countries are doing. And I always like to ask myself, does this approach get us to Singapore, the imaginary Finland and Singapore mix? And that might be a place we could look also if we're gonna borrow their standards or standards that match what they're doing that we could look for in a policy borrowing sense so that we could uh, find solutions to the capacity problem that you just really outlined. So I wonder, is there any kind of thought to broaden the scope of it?
0: Yeah, let me just be explicit. I don't think we could claim that Common Core standards are benchmarked to international standards. I think the right word would be informed. Uh, And in fact, I've been very, you know, corrected on my language on how we... uh, (laughs) do the international comparison. So they're informed, they've tried to incorporate some, uh, but they've also tried to realize that America is a a different kind of country as all countries are. Uh, I think on yes, we're carefully looking at the implementation in some of these other countries. Uh, Singapore I think has 4 million people and Finland has 4 million people and you know, as you know, we have 310 million. So it's a, there's a scale problem here. I remember I was in Finland visiting there, and they were complaining about these low performing minority students. And I said, "Who are the low performing minority students?" And said, "Oh, those Swedes." So uh, that was a huge problem with these Swedes. Not, you know, when you look at international comparison, you don't think of Sweden is one of your outstanding problems. And uh, so you know, there's a. a a different perspective. But we are, you know, what you're um, alluding to is how deep they went and how they really prepared their classroom people and and how the, how they carried out uh, the teacher uh, involvement and capacity building. So, yeah, those do tell you that if you want to get those kinds of results, you probably have to do some, Ontario is another good example. So there have been uh, lots of, Quote, state education leaders who have been visiting these other places um, and looking at that in quite a depth. Uh, a group from the California Department of Education just went to Finland about two or three weeks ago uh, to look at that. So we're, uh, quote, informed by them uh, how much of that we can do given our resources and our scale is really hard you know I'm having trouble transfer you know trying to do Finland light you know uh, and what that version is uh, to me it involves some kind of digital component uh, that would have to be I don't think we can just do it all person to person in depth in this setting so I'm I'm just struggling with that and I haven't seen any any way out um, that uh, really at this point is convincing to me. So there's a lot of unknowns in this game at this point. I mean, you know generally what you have to do uh, to get it implemented, but you don't have any clear um, clear ideas on exactly all uh, a game plan on how it would work. That's why I stuck to state policy here in that regard. But we could have a state policy, you know, for how to do this, Ontario had a state policy. They're a big state uh, on how to implement things, for example, and they're part of a federal country. And um, so, uh, it's we really haven't been able to um, master that or even mount the resources to get it. You know, the first things we've got to do with these things, and um, we're required by law.
4: Um, two questions: um, What does this mean for charter schools? Are they a part of this at all? And then I'm also interested in what is going on at the state level or national level to evaluate and assess the charter schools that we have.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, the charter schools are public schools. They're really uh, going to be affected by, by this, by like any other schools. Um, as a sidebar, the uh, governor's finance proposal on weighted pupil formula treats charter schools like a school district. It would equalize their funding, and of charter schools, this is a sidebar, but just, the charter schools that have low-income pupils or English learners that aren't low-income, they would really come up, they would get huge increases in funding. Uh, so that uh, that huge, significant is a better word, I guess. Um, so, but they are bound by this. They're the same, uh, same uh, area, and uh, so they will be working through their association and the help groups they have. Um, They have two of them in that regard. As far as how they're evaluated, they're evaluated, they will be evaluated the same as if they were any other school or school system. So if you have a mom-and-pop charter, they're evaluated like a school system in terms of its total of how they're doing. Right now, as you know, we have an academic performance index, which has... Only assessments in our index, so they're they're carefully looked at from from that standpoint. Um, the charter school groups have been uh, 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 one of them has been very aggressive on looking at the worst performing charter schools. In fact, they came to the state board of education with a recommendation, a list of charter schools that the charter school association recommended be closed before the state had even gotten you know around to banging on them fairly hard if you will and uh, for what they were doing so are they want to they seem to be on a movement that purge their own weak sisters under the view that it's going to drag us all down so um i think they will be um, a part of the accountability programs and uh will be looked at uh, pretty carefully at broader issues of management and so on um on that regard the, the mystery to me in charter schools if i'm still doing research in this stuff would be uh, on the control of the charter school boards, who are these people? Uh, what are they like? They're not like, you know, like a regular school board. How much can we trust them, and all that sort of thing? That's sort of a dark continent. I'd like to know much more about the charter school boards, the governance, the oversight within those individual schools. There's all. There, I haven't seen anything the academics have really written on this. I used to write on American school boards, so that's why it's something that makes me very curious and also relates to the job. But uh, I would like to see some more work on that.
4: Okay. Um, so, from the dis- district perspective, while we certainly have you know a maze in front of us at the district level, I think there's also a tremendous opportunity in front of us to refocus on what expert teaching is all about and move away from scripted teaching to giving teachers more opportunity to make decisions based on high standards and what they see kids needing. So um, this is a place where I see that we do have an opportunity at the local level to apply some of the same change theories that we see in places like Finland through really focusing on pedagogy and not waiting for materials to drive what we do, so I want to say thank you to you for what I heard about flexibility in the adoption process because that that's a policy that directly impacts um, you know, how pedagogy is focused on and rolled out at the district level. And so I'm actually thrilled that there will be a delay in the textbooks mm. and that um, what I hear you saying through the consumer reports model is that we'll have uh, hopefully more choice and more flexibility around how that happens so that uh, we can focus on empowering teachers around the pedagogy. So I wondered if you could say a little more about that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, uh, well, we're, we're no longer going to have state textbooks that uh, and uh, structural materials beyond textbooks uh, that are uh, really the one, only ones you can use. We're not planning on having, and part of the reason that, that is as well, we have had for years here an instructional materials fund that you're aware of and you got that was one of the 62 categoricals you got and you could spend only that money we gave you for instructional materials on state adopted instructional materials well the state instructional materials fund is no more uh in the sense that it's now flexed and i don't think it'll come back and therefore you know that money uh, you have we 're not giving you money for that purpose there, and, and therefore it 's also logical to say well we 'll you know we 'll give you lots of we 'll give you guidance on the best materials and we 'll go through a process that satisfies all the legal requirements that certainly small districts don 't want to do, uh, but we 're not going to uh, uh, say you have to uh, spend certain amounts of money only on those materials so it 's a it's a new uh, thing, and we also encourage bottom-up recommendations. I mean, the old process worked: uh, the state sent out criteria, and then the publishers bid. Well, you know, I'm hoping that and expecting that local districts will see things that work out there. Maybe in California, but maybe it's in Vermont, and you'll say we want to use this, and you'll say evaluate it to us. Does it meet your criteria and we'll do it uh, or you can do it uh, locally. So it's, it's, a, it's a really a big sea change in, in terms of California, which is one of the classic 13 adoption states. I remember back in the 80s, uh, we had a meeting with Florida, Texas, and California, and we were all three ta- state adoption states, and we were going to corner the market and dictate what the textbooks were. Uh, we were going to have uniform things. Well, no, surprise, surprise, we couldn't agree on time of day with the Texas State Board of Education, so that didn't work, and Florida wasn't really interested either. But So we've come of 180 degrees from trying to stage manage this whole thing from... Uh, st- through state government processes in that regard whether we lose some quality there will be an issue and we'll have to take a look at it but it's uh, it's a you know, I think there's a lot of um, paradigm-breaking kind of things that we're doing here
2: so we've come to the end of our time and I'd like to thank you Mike for sort of unpacking and showing mm. us the complexity of this <laughs> policy side. and now what I would encourage all of us who are in this room is to think about what we're gonna to do to help with the implementation side. Because if implementation doesn't change, it'll be the same old, same old. You know, so thinking about what do we learn from the implementation of standards in, in the, eight, or the 90s through the early 2000s? What are we gonna do that worked? And what are we gonna do in a different way? So I wanna just close, um, first, and thank all of you for coming to our first lecture of this year and encourage you to pick up posters that are out on the table. And our next lecture will be November 12th with Cynthia Colburn. And her title is Uncovering the Policy Implementation Process, Power and Learning in Instructional Reform. So thank you all, and Mike, thank you. Okay.